Lord, we pray for peace over our lives. The peace that passes all understanding. And the peace that only you can give us. I pray, Father, as we turn our hearts and minds to your word, help us to not get out of an attitude of worship. Because as wonderful as it is to sing songs, to offer a sacrifice of praise, our lives are meant to be in worship to you. And hearing your voice through your word should be as much an act of worship as anything else we do. So Father, I pray that you would open our hearts and our ears to hear you. I pray that your spirit would speak in Jesus' name. Amen. So over the last two weeks, we have looked at the word of God that is sharper than any two-edged sword. Uh, that was two weeks ago. Last week, we looked at boldly approaching the throne of grace through Jesus Christ, our Lord. If you missed either of those messages, they're on our Facebook page or our website. Highly encourage you, uh, not because I think you should go back and listen to me, uh, but because those are just two amazing portions of the book of Hebrews. And so if you missed our studies in that, uh, I, I think it would be encouraging to you. Uh, as I've been saying since we began the book of Hebrews, um, we are now going to start diving into Jesus as our great high priest. It's come up several times earlier in the book of Hebrews, and today we're going to touch on it in these 11 verses, especially today looking at his heavenly appointment, Jesus' heavenly appointment as our great high priest. Then we're going to take a quick break from the end of chapter 5 and chapter 6, and we're going to get into chapter 7 where we will do a deep dive into Jesus as our great high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek. That's going to be fun. Now, it's going to be a week or two out, uh, just depending on how quickly we move through the end of chapter 5 and chapter 6. Uh, so it may, may be three or four weeks out at the rate we've been going, but we're going to get there. We're starting today by looking at Jesus as our great high priest appointed as such by God. So if you have your Bible open to Hebrews chapter 5, we're going to pick up in verse 1. For every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray, since he himself is also subject to weakness. Because of this, he is required, as for the people, so also for himself, to offer sacrifices for sins. And no man takes this honor to himself, but he who is called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was he who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he also says in another place, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. 
who, in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him, called by God as high priest according to the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Now, yeah, yeah, we're going we're gonna to get into the dull of hearing next week, so next week might be a good week to go camping or something. Um, <laughs> I'm just saying, the portion of scripture that comes after that statement, that's what's going to be fun. So pray for me this week, because, yeah, I, God always deals with me first. Um, but it's going to be fun. So we start off in the first four verses, that every high priest is taken from among men, is appointed for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. That these high priests can have compassion on those who are ignorant or going astray, because they're also subject to weakness. And because of this, the human high priest is required for the people, so also for himself, to offer sacrifices for sins, and that no man takes this honor to himself, but he who is called by God, just as Aaron was. So every human high priest is appointed, which means placed, designated, or ordained for other people in things pertaining to God. And we talked about this last week, that the high priest represents the people before God and represents God before the people. We're not going to get into that much more than that for now, but if, if you missed that, you can listen to last week. We, we spent a little bit of time uh, talking about that. But the, this is done by God so that the high priest can offer gifts and sacrifices for the sins of the people he is serving. And there are three things that we need to point out concerning the human high priesthood. First, the high priest, the human high priest, can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray, since he himself is also subject to weakness. See, the high priest knew what it was like to go astray, because he had gone astray. He could be compassionate to others when they made a mistake because he had made mistakes. This is true of, I think, honest pastors or just honest Christians in general. Right? There, really, there's two camps. You, you get the, the highly legalistic group of Christians that, that are all about following the rules. And don't get me wrong, there's rules we need to follow. I hope nobody's murdered anyone this week. Shouldn't be lying, you shouldn't be stealing, you shouldn't be coveting, shouldn't be committing adultery, right? There are rules we need to follow. But we don't follow these rules in order to save ourselves. We don't follow these rules because we think it makes God love us more than somebody else. And we certainly don't follow these rules because we think it makes us better than someone else. But there are people like that. If you've never met them, I'm jealous. <laughs> right? We've probably all met them at some point in time. And uh, you've heard me say this before. I'm very grateful that you didn't know me 20 years ago. Because some of us have been there in previous lives. And uh, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm just 
which is some random statement. Um, I once made a comment, you know, I think, I think these folks, the, the legalistic side, the pharisaical type of people, they, they tend to shoot their wounded, right? You have somebody who's gone through something horrible, and instead of coming alongside of them, recognizing that they have made mistakes, or that they have sinned, or that they have fallen short of the glory of God, no, instead they put that person down, and they tear that person apart, and they shoot their wounded. And at one time I made a comment, a comment you guys have probably never heard, that um, Christians, uh, I used to be one of those people who would shoot the wounded until I found myself at the wrong end of the gun. That's what learned me. Yes, I said learned me. Because I used to be that Pharisee. Oh, I, oh you don't, don't ask my wife, but um, you could. She remembers, I'm sure. Man, I was a first-rate jerk. All in the name of Christ. Oh, I told everybody what terrible sinners they were, and I told everybody how, if they could just be more like me, they'd be, yeah, thank you, that's right. You can imagine how well that went until I made a mistake, right? And it wasn't even a major mistake. I just made a comment that I probably shouldn't have made, and I made a lot of people mad. Oh, then I, I figured out, or I learned, what it was like to be on the wrong end of that. And, and multiple, just through that whole, I was like, I can't believe I've done this to people. A lot of repentance, a lot of change. Because, you know what, we're, we're all sinners. Is that news to anybody? Right? We're all sinners. We all need the grace of God. And if anybody looks at you and tells you, well, I, you know, I'm not that kind of person, they're just a liar. Right? They're just, just... Anyway, I could spend a lot of time on that. But the point is, that's how, when we're honest with each other, when we're honest with the people around us, it doesn't mean we condone sin. It doesn't mean if somebody is in the midst of sin that we pretend it's okay. But we can have compassion because you know what? We've been there. And chances are, we may be there again someday. Now last, uh, two weeks ago, we talked about Jesus being a sympathetic high priest. Or did we talk about that last week? Oh, we talked about it last week. Um, because he faced the same temptation that we do, but he did so without sin. So Jesus can still have compassion on us because he knows what we go through. The difference is, is he faced it if you remember the word in Greek, the, the words chorus hamartia, he faced it without sin, absence or separated from sin. But the human high priest faced it and failed. And that's why the human high priest could be compassionate, or at least was supposed to be. Right? What happened to the human high priesthood or, or the, 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 the priesthood in general in Israel? Well, it eventually became the sects of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the lawyers or the scribes, and there was no compassion. There was no forgiveness. That's why Jesus so often rebuked them throughout the Gospels. Second for the human high priest is that he was required for himself, just like for the people, to offer sacrifices for sin. And this is a huge difference between the human high priest and Jesus as our great high priest. 
Since Jesus is sinless, he never had to offer a sacrifice for his own sins. The human high priest had to do that for himself. You see, before the, the high priest of Israel, the human high priest could offer sins for the people, he had to offer a sin for himself first. Because if he went before God without having offered the sacrifices for his own sins, well, God would kill him. And then somebody else would have to go in. So the human high priest always had to offer the sacrifice for himself. Then he could offer for the people. Jesus didn't have to do that. Jesus is perfect. He's eternally perfect. But he did offer a sacrifice for us. And that sacrifice, of course, was himself. Ephesians 5.2 tells us to walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. The final particular about the human high priesthood is that no man takes this honor to himself, but he who is called by God, just as Aaron was. And this is a vital component of both priesthoods, both the human high priest and Jesus as high priest, because in both cases, the high priest is appointed by God the Father. Now, there were times throughout the history of Israel when various people tried to take this office for themselves. And I highly encourage you, I think these scriptures are in the notes, um, guys like Saul, Jeroboam, and Ahaz in uh, 1 Samuel 15, 1 Kings 12, and 2 Kings 16, they all tried to do this for themselves. And we're not going to get into all of them, but think about Saul. Saul was commanded to wait for Samuel to make the sacrifice. Saul got impatient, made the sacrifice on his own. When Samuel showed up, he said, you're done. You didn't do what God told you to do. You tried to do this yourself, which is not for you to do. You've lost the kingdom. Right? Pretty big consequence. Why? Saul was not appointed as high priest. But he tried to do it himself anyway. I encourage you to go check out those other ones. Ahaz was just a bad dude anyway. Um, but it never ended well for that person. And it's the same for each of us. Because each of us is called by God to do something. Right? I know that's kind of generic, but it's still true. Not everybody's called to be a pastor. Not everybody's called to lead worship. Not everybody's called to work with kids. Every time I get through a week of VBS, I am reminded that even though I love kids, I even love most other people's kids. I'm, I'm going to be honest. Sometimes other people's kids annoy me. Um, nobody here. But just sometimes. But after a week of VPS, I get done. I'm like, I am not called to be a children's pastor. No. I just realized that. And I'm okay with that. I love doing VBS. I think it's fun. I love hanging out with the kids. I love going to camp. Um, but that, I like talking to this group. And, and this age group is much more suited to me. But that's okay, because I understand what my calling is. And I'm very grateful for that. Um, I'll, I'll just say this, and, and I'm going to give you a, a little preview. We, we've got something cooking 
Uh, it's, on the, it's been on the back burner for the last month because of how busy we've been, but it's gonna move to the, the power burner up front and we're gonna turn the flame on high. I'm gonna just torture this metaphor as long as I can. Um, we're gonna announce it in a couple weeks, but we're, gonna, we're working on something to help all of us, help all of anybody who doesn't know what their gift and calling is, understand that and move into that calling because it's important. And I can tell you from experience, when you know what you're called to do and you're not doing it, you're miserable. You're left terribly unsatisfied. But when you know what you're called to do, and you're living that out, hopefully by the power of the Holy Spirit, oh, it's nothing better except our actual relationship with Christ. Because you become, or you, you're becoming the person God has called you to be. It's absolutely fantastic. But we don't call ourselves I have met people, because uh, I've been doing this for a while, I have met a number of pastors who should not have been pastors. And, and this is not me being judgmental necessarily. I hope not anyway. But I've met pastors who, they hated preaching, they hated people, they, hate, they hated their job, they would block calls from members of their congregation. Now, don't get me wrong. Sometimes I might not take your call, but none of you were blocked, I promise. They, just, they hated what they did. I'm like, then are you sure that's what God has called you to do? Because I, I, I'm imagining, and don't get me wrong, there are some days that my job is really hard and I just want to go home. <laughs> Right? I'm not going to lie about it. But there's never a day when I, I hate what I do. I love what I do. There's never a day that one of you calls and, well, maybe I don't want to take the call at that moment, but I always want to know what's going on. I always want to, if you need help with something, to be available or to get somebody who can help you be available. I, I love what I do. I do. I sit in my office and I study for messages. Oh, I just, I get giddy and, and I have fun and I enjoy it. I've met other pastors. I remember one and, and he ended up selling uh, insurance, which was the right call for this person. Uh, but we went to the church. It was a church plant. And, and I remember him getting up one Sunday morning and telling everybody in the congregation that they needed to increase their tithing. And the reason was because he deserved a senior pastor's salary and he didn't think he was getting it. You remember that, don't you? And that Sunday they passed out little commitment cards to everybody in the church to fill out not what they would give, but how much they were going to increase their giving so he could get a raise. That church failed. And he went on to sell insurance. Now, don't get me wrong. I've said that like 12 times, haven't I? 
Don't go back and listen to it. Or go back and listen to it and count. Um, I think it's great that he figured out what he was supposed to do. Because he was definitely a people person. But he should have never been a pastor. Right? So he found a different way to help people. and was very successful uh, selling insurance, which, good for him. But, you know, I'm, not, I'm never going to lie to you. As, as followers of Christ, we're all supposed to give to the work that God has us to be a part of. But if I ever come up here and tell you that you all have to increase how much you give so I can get a raise, yeah, it's going to be my last Sunday. It just needs to be my last Sunday. You, you just you take my keys back and send me on, send me packing. Because that's not why I'm here. I mean, don't, I, I almost said it again, and then I stopped. I am grateful for the way the church takes care of us. I, I, I appreciate it. I do so very much. But that's not why I'm here. And if that ever became the reason I was here, I shouldn't be a pastor either. 2 Thessalonians 1, 11 through 12 says, Therefore, we also pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about what that verse says. He wants us to be worthy of our calling, and God wants to fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power in each of us, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified. That's what he wants to do. Verse 5. In verse 5, so also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was he who said to him, you are my son today, I have begotten you. As he also says in another place, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. I mentioned above that Jesus did not appoint himself as a high priest, just like the human high priest didn't appoint himself. But Jesus was called by and appointed to this position by his father. Psalm 2, 7, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Uh, don't let the word begotten confuse you. Jesus is not a created being, but is God the son, and he is eternal, according to John 1, 1 through 5, Colossians 1, 9 through 18, and a host of other places. But a lot of people get, we, we, we mentioned this last week, a lot of people get a little bit twisted around the word begotten, even in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But the word begotten, while it can refer to the fertilization of an egg by a human father, and we know that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, so that's different. His conception was different. But it also can mean simply to bring forth. And God brought Jesus forth into the world in flesh so he could live a perfect life and die on our behalf. But that's what it means when it says that God declares his son as his own, that this is not something Jesus took for himself in his human or divine nature. This is who he is as the only son of God, and he is appointed and anointed by God as our high priest. And I know that's a lot. Um, if you want to talk more about that, let me know, and we can 
go have a cup of coffee and dive into it. But he then says, you're a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek, which is from Psalm 110, verse 4. Paul will say this again in verse 10, and I promise when we get into Hebrews 7, we will talk about Melchizedek in his entirety. Because Melchizedek is one of the most interesting figures in all of Scripture. He only appears, or is mentioned, only appears once, technically. He's only mentioned three times. And when we get to chapter 7, oh, it's going to be fun, right? I know, it's a bit of a teaser. What's important for us to know is that Jesus, who was from the tribe of Judah, was appointed as a high priest according to a different order, right? A high priest was supposed to be a descendant of Aaron from the tribe of Levi. Numbers 28, Leviticus chapters 8, 9, and 10 all talk about that. Jesus was from the tribe of Judah. So according to Levitical law, to the Mosaic law, the Old Testament law, Jesus couldn't be a high priest. From the tribe of Judah, he could be king, but not high priest, unless he was a high priest of a different order. So being a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek allows Jesus to be our king and our high priest, the only one who could hold both offices. Right? We mentioned it. A couple of the examples I gave were kings who tried to take on the duties of a high priest, and God dealt very harshly with them. Jesus did something. Well, Jesus did a lot of things that no one else could do, but this is one of them. So then we get to verse 7. It says, Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Called by God as high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. This is one of the most astounding passages in the scriptures to me, that Jesus had to learn obedience through his suffering. And, and we're going to talk about more, that, more about that in a moment. But it's so valuable for us to know that Jesus is our sympathetic high priest, that he's sympathetic to us as our high priest, because we're never asked to do anything that he has not already done or gone through himself. And I think that is a commonly held mistake among many believers. Well, my life should be perfect. I'm a follower of Christ. Was Jesus' life perfect? People hated him. How many times did they try to kill him until it was the right time and they succeed? They succeeded. People lied about him. People spread false rumors about him. The, the religious leaders called him Satan. They called him at one point in time, pardon my language, but go read John chapter 8. At one point in the time, they literally called him a bastard. They pointed out the fact that his mother was pregnant before she was married. Right? And you, oh, well, you know, I, you just don't understand what I'm going through. And I mean, you know what? Sometimes I don't. Because I've been through my stuff, and my stuff is probably unique compared to your stuff. 
And that's okay. Maybe your stuff and my stuff overlap somewhere. You know, but you know the person who's experienced everything you've experienced? The person who's gone through everything you'll ever go, go through? I, he experienced loss of the people he loved. He experienced betrayal. He experienced abandonment. And when he says, all right, I want you to follow me. And then we think, oh, well, then my life's going to be perfect. Take up your cross daily and follow me. In this world, you will have tribulation. Be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. The servant is not greater than his master. I'm actually jumping ahead, aren't I? I think I am. Yep, I'm jumping ahead. But the point is, I stopped because I realized that's in my notes. But the point is, is he's not going to ask us to do anything. We're not going to face anything, anything that he hasn't faced. Now, he did it without sin. Whew, praise God, because that meant he could die in our place. But if anybody looks at you, it's a line from the Princess Bride. Life is pain. If anyone tells you differently, they're selling something. It's a great line from the Princess Bride, but it has great truth to it. Because if anybody tries to tell you that life should be easy, that life should be picture perfect, it's not. You already know that, don't you? But sometimes when people go through that, Peter said, don't be surprised by the fiery trial that comes upon you. Sometimes people are surprised when it goes wrong. Why would we be surprised? Jesus told us it would go wrong. And you know what he said? But I'll walk with you through it. I'll be with you through it. I will strengthen you through it. I will grow you through it. I will teach you through it. And one way or the other, I'll get you to the other side. That's a beautiful promise. Yes, we'll go through difficulties. But he will get us through. So it says in the days of his flesh that he offered up prayers and supplication with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his godly fear. So when did this happen? Well, this happened in the garden when Jesus prayed before his arrest and crucifixion. In Luke chapter 22, uh, verse 39 through 46, it says, Coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives, as he was also accustomed, and his disciples also followed him. When he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, remember this passage says that he offered prayers and supplication with vehement cries. And this goes back, being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. There's actually a medical condition about that, that you can be so stressed out that your sweat glands, the capillaries start to burst and you start to sweat blood. When he arose from prayer, 
him to his disciples. He found them sleeping from sorrow. And he said to them, why do you sleep? Rise and pray, lest you enter into temptation. It says he prayed to the one who could save him from death. Jesus told us in Matthew 26, 53, that there were legions of angels standing by, waiting. All he had to do was say, I'm done with this. Come get me. And they would have. And I doubt they would have been gentle about it to those who were surrounding him. But he never did. Why? Here, Jesus submitted to the will of his Father. He showed us that there was no other way for us to be saved but by his death and resurrection on the cross. And in all of it, Jesus maintained a godly fear or reverence for his Father, even though they are one. Mind blown. That he feared his father. He respected his father, even though Jesus is still God. He submitted to his father, even though he himself is God. Humility. Though he was a son, it goes on, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. So now here's a question that I, I had to think about a little bit. Was there the possibility that Jesus could disobey the Father? And the answer is no. And I'm going to tell you why. If he had disobeyed the Father, or if he had even thought about disobeying the Father, right? Not necessarily the temptation to do so, but if he had considered it considered following that temptation to disobey the Father, he would have ceased to be sinless. Because we can sin in our thoughts just as easily as we do in our actions. Actually, it's probably a little easier to sin in our thoughts. So he would have ceased to be sinless. He would have ceased to be perfect. So I don't really think for him that it was an option. I, I don't think that he ever considered going down that path of disobeying the Father. But he did have to learn or understand what it meant to submit to the will of his Father by his obedience to the Father in dying on the cross for us. He had to learn what that meant from a human perspective. So my question is, is why do we think we're going to get away with any John 15, 20. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. See, I told you this. I got ahead of myself. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. We are not greater than Jesus. Right? Not even close. We're not even on the same level. We're not even in the same league. We're, I, I mean, you know, he's, you put him in the pros. We're, we're not even on the farm team. We're playing beer softball with a bunch of out-of-shape people on Sunday afternoon. Right? Not even close to the same league. He is so far above us. And what did he go through? Well, he suffered. We're going to suffer. People hated him. 
people are going to hate us. People lied about him. People are going to lie about us. I've already gone through that list. We should expect that. We should. We shouldn't be, as I said from 1 Peter, we shouldn't even be surprised about it. We shouldn't even be surprised when it's people we know and love. Yes, I'm being real. Anybody here ever been treated poorly by somebody who loved you? Right? It's happened to all of us. We shouldn't be surprised. What we should do is understand that he'll be with us. And it says that having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. You see, Jesus was perfect before the foundation of the world. Jesus is perfect now, and he will be perfect forever. This perfection was demonstrated and accomplished by his obedience to the Father through his death and resurrection. And because of this, he is the author or the cause of eternal salvation for all who obey him. So what must we obey to partake of this salvation? John 6, 28 and 29. They said to him, to Jesus, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. I love that. The first thing we do is obey the gospel. Jesus Christ lived a sinless life. He died a substitutionary death. And he rose on the third day. So the first part of obedience is believing that truth. And then we repent of our sins. That's the second part of our obedience. Through the gospel. All of this empowered by the Holy Spirit. You can't do it by yourself. But we all need it. Every single one of us. And then once again he says that he's called as high priest according to the order of Melchizedek of whom we have much to say and hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Paul is going to delve into Jesus as our high priest according to the order of Melchizedek in chapter 7. But first, he is going to deal with the dullness of our hearing and a few other exhortations as we close chapter 5 and go into chapter 6. I said it at the beginning, and I'm going to say it again. I don't want you to miss next week. I really hope you're here. It's going to be fun. Fun. Because Paul does not hold anything back in the next section. Just nothing back. You've been warned. Read ahead, if you'd like. But you should be here. So as we close, Jesus is our great high priest. He is appointed as such by God the Father. One of the reasons he is our sympathetic and compassionate high priest is because of what he suffered for us. He knows what it means to be obedient to the Father. He knows what it means to suffer unjustly. He knows what it means to have to surrender his will so that when he asks us to do the same, he has already experienced it. 
And I know that's hard for us proud Americans to surrender our will to the will of the Father. I, I'm not telling you this because I think you should do it and I've got it down. I struggle with surrendering my will to the will of the Father. I do. Let's struggle together. But it's what he asks us to do and he showed us how to do it. Because of this, because he could do all this, because he showed us all of this, he is the author of our eternal salvation, a free gift of salvation that is offered to anyone who will believe in him. So a couple closing thoughts, because I always do this. And that is, do you know Jesus is your high priest, the one who can lead you into the presence of God and give you eternal salvation? If there's anybody here listening, anybody joining us online, or maybe somebody who hears this message later on, there is no more important decision that you will ever make than to believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior. None. Right? One of, one of the pastors this week at VBS, one of the other pastors, Pastor Brian, said, the second most important decision you'll ever make is who you marry. And I'm like, what? That's probably very true. But the first most important decision is your relationship with Christ. Because I don't care how successful you are, how good-looking you are, how much money you have, right? This is one of the biggest reasons I need Jesus. I'm, I'm not that good-looking, I'm not all that successful. I can't rely on any of that stuff. And it wouldn't do me any good if I tried. Because it's only through him that we can spend eternity in heaven. It's only through him that we can be forgiven of our sins. It's only through him. You know, folks, that's the message we have. That's the message we need to take and give to the world around us. But just in case, anybody listening to this, leave me a message, make a comment. Let us help you know. Second, what are you suffering with that you need our compassionate high priest to help you with? As we talked about last week, you can come boldly to the throne of grace for these needs. Pastor Craig Rochelle is fond of saying that you can't deal with it until you identify it. And I love that statement. You can't deal with it until you identify it. And so many people are afraid to identify it. I get that. You don't have to identify it to me. If you need help and you want to, I, I will gladly walk with you through that. But you can't deal with it until you identify it. If you pretend there's no problem, then that problem will never get better. That's just the reality that we live in. And you want to know what? There's nothing wrong with asking for help. First and foremost, from our gracious God who invites us to come boldly to his throne of grace. And second, from the people around you. If you need help, that's why we're here. We're going to lead you to his throne of grace, I hope. But we're here to support you, to love you, to walk with you. None of us should be facing anything alone. None of us should. We are a family. We should be facing these things together. And if you really want to hear me get excited about that, go back and listen to the message in James chapter 5. But what are you suffering with? What do you need our compassionate high priest 
to help you with. And finally, this is the one that hurts all of us. What are you struggling with when it comes to surrendering your will to God's will? Where do you or I need to learn greater obedience to the Father? I've got a couple things on that list. I do. Things that I pray about, things that I try to surrender, things that I repent over not surrendering. I got some stuff on that list. I bet you do too. Right? If you know what it is, identify it. Bring it before the Father. Ask him to help you. To let go. To surrender. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the great example we have in our Savior Jesus Christ. That he showed us what it meant to be humble. What it means to surrender to you. Father, I pray that you would help us surrender to you. And I pray, Father, that you would give us your grace and your strength for all the struggles of life. That you would help us to walk through them. That you would walk with us through them and help us to hold on to the victory that is ours in Christ. Pray that you be glorified in all we do this week. I pray that you would help us to be salt and light in our community. I pray, Father, that whatever our calling is, that you would give us the grace to know it and to walk it out in, in whatever venue or situation that may be. Lord, thank you for your love. In Jesus' name.